and welcome back to Bombaco, the Scandinavian La Liga podcast. And before we went on air, we were discussing whether Alexander Jonsson may actually be homeless because this is probably the third week in a row where we're speaking and I'm pretty sure she's not at home. And actually, come to think of it, I reckon that you've been not at home more than you've been at home pretty much every time I've ever spoken to you that's not been in person. So, do you have a house? I think I do. Um, <laughs> no, I do. <laughs> I do have an amazing apartment, which I love being at, but I'm just never there. Uh, I look very much forward to going back there tonight, though. Well, you should explain that there is a reason why you are not there right now as we record this and why you have not been there. Um, well, I guess people can take a guess. You you go around all the IKEAs in Spain visiting them to tally up as many as possible, right? Yeah, that's, that's exactly what I'm doing, is counting how many IKEAs I've been to. <laughs> no, I've been obviously watching football. Because uh, that's this obsession I have, uh, this sickness I have of going around watching football. So I've been, uh, I'm in Madrid now. I was, as we talked in the last podcast, and I was in my, had been in Mallorca. Uh, this weekend I've been in Madrid to watch football. Uh, did three matches this time. No one in Segunda B. Didn't walk around half Madrid to get into a Segunda B game. But I did do one Segunda game and two La Liga games. And the Segunda game was the most exciting one. But the La Liga games were pretty good too. Worth, uh, worth a trip around the Spanish capital then? Yeah. So I started on Friday by going to the mighty Alcorcón um, at their Estadio Santo Domingo, uh, which is not a very big stadium. It's actually quite small. Um, nothing impressive. I've heard a lot of friends here in Madrid calling it the coldest stadium in Spain. Uh, so I dressed up really, really warm. Uh, thankfully, I went there to watch uh, Real Oviedo play away to, to Alcorcón uh, with the away fans of Oviedo. So it wasn't very cold standing among all the, the singing Oviedo fans. I went there with, uh, with Sid Lowe, who's a friend of the pod, who's on the Spanish Football Podcast pod, who is our friend podcast, you could say. Anyways, so I went there with him and, and some other people to watch Oviedo win. And I think this is, says quite a lot about Oviedo. I think... That was, might have been the first time ever I've seen Oviedo win a game live with two goals because they won 3-1. Uh, then I went to the Bernabeu, a little bit different size of stadium, and uh, the football was a similar level. Actually, it was a really horrible game. Espanol um, <laughs> are, are really bad, which we might talk more about later. I don't know. They are going down. Yes, yes, Lee, they are going down. I did I not say so. that. I did not say that. But I do really believe they are. Um, and then yesterday I went to a game we're going to talk a lot more, more about later this, during this podcast at Putarque to see the mighty Celta fall against Leganes. But we'll get back into that later. So that's been what I've been running around doing this weekend um, and a lot of other things as well. I thought that we should be more positive and try and celebrate someone instead because it's uh, really quite an incredible thing that's happened this weekend. Joaquin, 38 years old, 140 days, beating Alfredo de Stefano's record, which I didn't even know was a record, to be honest, of 37 years and 255 days, which has stood since 1964, to become the oldest player to ever score a hat-trick in La Liga. And I think also we should have some perspective on that, because with all due respect, and de Stefano was an incredible player, obviously, but the 1960s football was quite a different level of physicality to the... Uh, 2019 I almost forgot what year it was level of football that we have today I think it's a a few people have pointed this out and I think I've been guilty of this as well that when Joaquin came back to Betis there's a tendency for the media coverage of him to focus on his humor and the jokes he tells and that kind of thing but I mean this is just evidence that 
he's there to play football and he can still do it at a really good level. I looked at his goals and already this season he has, I think it's six goals in the league. And that's his highest goals tally in La Liga since 2004 when he was in his early 20s. So that really gives you some perspective on just how high a level he's still performing at even at 38. I mean, it's quite astonishing, really. He's just incredible. And it's also in some games, even though he hasn't scored, when he's come off the bench, it becomes a difference in an instant. Like he goes and creates that basically a chance in, in one second with his first touch. He's such a brilliant player. And also to add to, to the stat of him being the oldest hat-trick scorer in La Liga, this was actually his first ever hat-trick in his, in his career uh, after, I think, 533 matches. And to adding top on that, he did it in 20 minutes. And it was brilliant goals. It's, it's, no, it's not any tap-ins. It's actually brilliant goals. And I think with, with Joaquin also, one problem is that because he's so much of a funny guy and do all of these crazy things like no other footballer does, so he gets a lot, a lot of attention for that. And he, you don't think he is as funny as I do, but still. But I think that takes away so much from people focus too much on that so that you kind of forget he's actually even better as a football player and he's so, so good as a player. And I think he's one of the most underrated La Liga players we have had in, in many, many years because he's just so enjoyable to watch when you actually watch him play. Yeah, this made me think actually that when Ryan Giggs was playing into his late 30s at Manchester United, he was getting all this international recognition about how incredible a feat it was and what a high level he was playing and performing at. And then I looked at the numbers and okay, numbers don't tell you everything, but Joaquin's six goals in the league last season, six goals in the league this season, played 30 games last season. When Giggs was 37, which is how old Joaquin was last season, he he only played 25 league games, so he managed five less and he scored two goals. Um, and then the following season, he played 25 league games and scored two goals. So numbers-wise, Joaquin's blown away. Someone who's widely recognized, and so he should be as like one of the all-time legends of the, the modern era. Uh, so I don't know, it's, it's nice to get some perspective on just what kind of uh, level he's performing at. And also I thought, aside from him, because he has the story, we should maybe once again take a second to acknowledge that Ruby is still making Betis progress and now they're only four points off the Europa League spot so they really have managed to turn things around uh, at least in the short term. We'll see if it lasts over the long term, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's uh, what it feels like so far at least is that it's a lot of the mentality that's happened to the team the, the last couple of games and the confidence that brought with it. So it would be interesting to see if they have any game where they drop points and then to see if they can come back directly from that. That's, I think, where we will see if, if Ruby really have managed to turn things around or if it's just a short-term thing. Just in passing, I guess we should touch on the game that by now has been run over everyone's mind about 100 times, but the, the Barca match against Mallorca where pretty much every single goal in that game was a ridiculous goal. Uh, but I also thought that maybe overshadowed another story, which I put out on Twitter to my all my uh, wonderful, wonderful uh, fellow Ivan Rakitic defenders, can we say? that I don't think it's a coincidence that he starts playing again and then Barca start to play their best football again. Some people might say it as I disagree. I think that the midfield always looks better when they got him in there. And actually that the issue might have been that, that maybe they needed to add another player with quality and physical presence to, to Rakitic and, and Busquets in the midfield rather than take away both or one of them. And it was really nice to see him not necessarily shut up if any of his doubters, but at least make them look a little bit stupid. So go on, Ivan, I'm enjoying that. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, 
I've I've missed Rakitic when he hasn't been playing. If he brings something different to Barca that mm. they need, I had I actually had some people, which was the first thing that the first time I've ever heard this, telling me that because I pointed out that it's, it's interesting that the Barca fans who go to the camp now and and who see him in detail every weekend or twice a week seem to like him. You know, they give him an ovation when he went off, and they always seem to receive him well. I've never heard them boom or, or say, or at least audibly say bad things about him on a collective level. I, I thought that was an interesting point and then genuinely quite a few people said to me oh no the Barca fans who actually go to the games are idiots who know nothing about football and us guys at home who who watch it from our sofa and probably only started watching when Barca started to win loads of stuff about 10 years ago know way way better so actually they're the fools and so are all the people that think this guy's a decent footballer including the several elite level coaches that have wanted to have him in their team so hey what do we know guys I mean obviously we're listening to the wrong people we should just start interviewing like Messi Cruyffista 89 on Twitter and just get him to give us our analysis because apparently that's the the best level that you can possibly find so hey well everyone behind a twitter account and in front of a tv is an expert yeah exactly uh i think we should return to one of the games that you were at because i sort of made a point of uh, pointing this out at the weekend when i was looking at some of the material because there were so many amazing goals scored uh, at the weekend in la liga by bigger teams there's a tendency to overshadow some of the goals scored by other people at smaller teams oscar rodriguez <laughs> scored well i think any other weekend would be two of the the goals of the weekend and has it probably because of what messi did because of what suarez did because of what joaquin did won't make the same kind of headlines also because the goal aspas did in that same game but it was a game full with brilliant goals to be honest and and obviously oscar with two goals that was just incredible and and golazos and difficult for for rube blanco to even have any chance to stop so yeah, definitely that should should be highlighted. And if you haven't seen those goals, look them up for for God's sake. There are three three really different kinds of goals. The Aspas one's like not a classic Aspas goal because I don't know if there's such a thing as a classic Aspas goal. But he beats players and scores. But the Oscar one surprised me because I didn't expect some, him to place a free kick so perfectly like that. Th- that's the thing. And the thing with the Aspas goal is that the Aspas goal was a little bit like you get with Messi sometimes. It's when you see it, especially when you see it live, you, you go like, what the heck is that guy doing? But then at the same time, you also go, well, it's Iago Aspas. It's the, the most mind-blowing kind of goals becomes the norm, especially... If you like me, watch Salta on such a regular basis, and especially from last season where he did that every other weekend. And even if it had been any other player, you would talk about it in another way. And it's the same with Messi, obviously on another level. But Iago Aspas is a little bit like that as well with some of the goals he scores. And that was another one of those. If you take Oscar, that's not what you expect from him. You don't expect that, that perfection, um, especially in that free kick, which was just brilliant. So talk to me about, because we should also say that Lega against Celta, the, the game board generally, what were the big things you took away from that because you saw it in person? Yes, it was a very interesting game. I think it was in in some ways perhaps the big fixture of this weekend in the sense that it was such an important game for both teams. And it's two clubs that just changed their coach and it was a little bit, we're starting to get in where they are getting their first test because with Aguirre in, in Lega, the, the games they played up to now is not games they should even have the chance to win. Uh, so I think this was the first time we could really see what he's managed to do with Leganes. And we talked about it on the podcast before that we haven't really been able to see any bigger changes. And I think in this game, for me, when it came to Leganes, I was really impressed by them, to, to be honest. Going into it, I, I didn't expect much from them. Uh, but they, were, they, they had a very intense uh, pressure 
and high pressure from from start till the end of the game basically where they didn't let the the Celta players breathe for one second they they didn't have the time to think basically uh and it was just the the entire work ethic of the team and how they played as a team um i remember especially in kind of start of the game where where Lega was pushing on and pushing on which it did for for the first half uh, where they just missed a chance and Martin Breitway just goes with his arms, he's screaming at the fans, come on, more, 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 share more, more to like get us going even more. Um, and he just felt that around that Leganes team uh, yesterday was how they all together and had this energy and this willpower and this attitude that I don't think we've seen with Lega before. So that is a huge plus to, to Aguirre. And, and in that sense, Lega was much, much better than Celta and they... They deserve to win the game if you look at the entire game. Uh, from a Celta perspective, I know a lot of Celta fans, a lot of uh, neutrals watching the game is very disappointed with Celta from that game. It wasn't a very good game at all um, to start with or in, in majority. But I, I actually think I've spotted what might be one of the problems for Celta de Vigo, which I also felt that Oscar Garcia tried to change um, in the, for the second half. And it's that they have too many players that are too similar and are too good. So we have Denis Suarez, Santimina, Rafinha, because now Rafinha was back from injury as well. And then you have Yaguaspas. And you have all these kind of players. You have on the bench as well, Bryce Mendes, Fran Beltran. And they all want to be in the same kind of space on the pitch. Like Yaguaspas is best when he can go down a little bit in the pitch and then uh, go forward. But then you go down and you have... Now we played Denis Suarez on one of the as an extremo, but Denis Suarez always wanted to go in back in the middle of the pitch and would like go back and forth. And then you had Rafinha there, and it felt like it became in attacking game of Celta. They didn't manage to create anything because they were overcrowded everywhere. So these players all wanted to do the same kind of things, but didn't get the space because they were all there. Um, and what happened was at half time. Oscar Garcia did a change where he took out Hugo Mayo from the defense and put in um, Gabriel Fernandez, which both liked and disliked in a way. So all, already to be said also is that Denis Suarez got injured in the first half and had to leave, uh, which is a big blow for Celta. But what happened there was that you got one more body up there, so it got even more crowded. But what I like with getting Gabriel Fernandez is that it's another type of player. Mm. So you get kind of... More direct. Uh, yeah, so it changed the pattern a bit. And we already had uh, Denis Suarez out because of, of his injury. And then he ended up uh, substituting Rafinha as well and taking Bryce Mendes because Rafinha wasn't playing well, uh, which I also will get to because I think that is also an interesting move to do. Uh, anyway, where things changed for Celta is basically when Gabriel Fernandez got sent off um, because then they became one less and they started to have... They played the best part of the game where they were down to 10 men, basically because they just had more space. They, they weren't in the way for each other. Yeah, Aspas started going down and then go back up in the way that he likes and suddenly Aspas scores that goal. You have, they start creating chances and in the end they are really, really close to, to making it 3-3. I think there is a penalty possibility in, in the end of the match, which I think might have been penalty where it goes on hand. Um, and so, so it becomes a complete different Celta. But what I want to come to, which is why kind of think I figured out <laughs> watching this match, is that Celta's main problem is that they have, like, it's a luxury problem that actually becomes a real problem. And it's in the sense of having two good players um, when it comes to the same kind of positions. And you want to play them all. 
So I think like looking at the starting lineup that, that Oscar did for this game, putting Denis Suarez as an extremo, um, and then Rafinha in the middle and so on. I think what he was trying to do was trying to find a way to play all of these players and get the best out of them, but it didn't work. Um, and then also he did what I like with Oscar, which haven't, which should be a normal thing to do, but haven't been in Celta, is that he does changes as soon as things doesn't work. You see, he will sub Rafinha and Hugo Mayo, and both Rafinha and Hugo Mayo are seen as key players for Celta, seen as two of the big stars in the team. And he will sub them because they are not playing well, because they're having a day, bad day. And I think that wouldn't happen under Fran Escriba, for example. It would be just the same thing over and over again. And he also will do a change in half time in trying to change the pattern in the attack. Um, so even though overall it wasn't a good game from Celta, I still think people shouldn't be as critical or as negative as they are being. Because I think you're seeing indications that there are ideas that the he's trying to find and solve this problem, there is the right indication that they are trying to do something, they know what they're up to, um, and nothing changes over a night. Oscar Garcia has just got there. We have had very few games. The Barca game is hard to count. The Villarreal game was very impressive, but it was still too early. The Valdez game, I didn't see, uh, so I can't say much about that. So I think, also think it's so early in the season. We still have half the season to go. This makes me not especially worried. I would have been worried if they lose this game, but you see no indication of there being any changes, of there being any ideas or any trying to like find where the problem is and, and how to solve it. And I think that even though this game wasn't good, I think it was in one sense a good game for both Celta and Oscar in the sense that it was easy to start to spot where the problems might be and, and how to solve it. Yeah, it was a really nice contrast in styles as well. And Javier Aguirre's team's play a particular way that they're really really hard to beat and then Oscar Garcia's teams obviously take the opposite approach where they try and focus more on what they can do with the ball but the one thing I noticed as well is that towards the end Lega did that thing which it's like the kind of the, the one thing that you really shouldn't do when you're ahead and especially when the other team's a man down but psychologically for some reason it always happens where they drop deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper instead of trying to press them again and I think that suited Celta in a way. I don't know about you but for me the impression I get and I agree with what you said is that there are some teams that are in or around the relegation zone right now where you can't see how they've improved or even how they're going to improve with the raw materials they have. Like Espanyol, to be honest, I'm really genuinely quite worried about right now because even changing coach to, I think, a really good coach doesn't seem to have had much of an impact on them. And looking at the, the squad they have, I'm not really sure where they make the gains. But with Celta, to an extent with Leganes, now because they've started to get goals from other players, which is important for them, I can see how they can they can take a step forward and how sometimes a result doesn't come, but there can be progress in the way that they're playing that will bring results in the medium term rather than the the short term. Exactly. And the thing is, if we would have been at the end of the season, then you need a quick response and you need things to change directly. Uh, and then it's like with Celta last year that Fran Escriba was the right man for that, but he's not the right man for long term. If we take Oscar Garcia for Celta, what I see there is that he's the right man for long term, but that also means it doesn't change overnight. It will take more time because it's a long term solution. And that works when you have more than half the season left uh, to go. So that's why I'm not worried about it. But had it been at the end of the season, then he wouldn't be the right coach to take in because, as I said, He's the one who will solve your long-term problem, not your short-term problem. So moving on to another player who had a very good weekend, but also who in a way was probably overshadowed by other players having an even more exceptional weekend. Karim Benzema got another goal, had another 
pretty decent performance by his standards i think maybe not the best but still good enough i was thinking about this i mean his numbers now this season are absolutely absurd so i was looking at them in all competitions he has 15 goals and seven assists in 19 games which unless your name is Lionel messi those are pretty exceptional numbers cristiano ronaldo has eight goals and two assists and the reason I'm making that comparison is not because I think that Benzema's Ronaldo or vice versa, but I mean, anyone who's been paying attention to him is he's a player who's, who lived in Cristiano's shadow for so long at Real Madrid, who did a lot of the, the dirty work, you could call it, at the sacrifice of his own goal-scoring ability to try and improve Cristiano's game and give him better chances. And it, it made me think too, and it's something I think people forget, that when Real Madrid signed Benzema from Lyon, the player that he was compared to back in those days was Ronaldo Nazario. He was seen as, as a, a number nine who was going to score a lot of goals, who could dribble, who was creative. And maybe we saw the dribbling and the creative side of him more in the last few years. But I think this season's a really nice reminder, a little bit like last season, but even more so, that he's a really good finisher. And from my point of view, he right now, if he keeps this form up, not just in the numbers, but in the way he's playing, and I've seen a lot of Cristiano at Juve this season, for me, he's way closer to get into that top three of the like sort of three top players in the world than Cristiano is at the moment. It's, it's nice to see him get into, because obviously his career is not going to go on forever, that he's getting a chance now to really show what he's capable of as an all-round player, not just you know the, the side of his game that services other players. And I think he deserves it because he's a really, really great uh, striker. No, I was actually thinking about this when uh, I was at the Bernabeu watching the game, that Karim Besimba... He's kind of doing all of this a little bit in the quiet, in the shadow, as as you said as well. Because we don't talk about him. Everyone talks about Messi, of course. When it comes to Real Madrid, it's just become too much focus on talking about whatever goes on with Bale. Um, and then, a little, obviously, a little bit well-deserved for Fede Valverde, who's been amazing. But it's like everyone expects expect Benzema to deliver, but doesn't really care when he delivers, only when he doesn't deliver. Uh, which I find a bit unfair, but it's also the way Real Madrid works. Uh, but simply, the thing he, the things he's doing and the things he's been doing this season, of course, also gets overshadowed by Real Madrid not having been amazing in, in other terms, but it also makes what he's doing even more important. Um, so I definitely agree with you, and I feel like he, he deserves a lot more credit for what he's doing than he is actually getting. Right, well, keep it on the subject of Real Madrid and the Bernabeu. Around about this time last year, at least in the winter last year, uh, I remember I went to see them against Sevilla at the Bernabeu which at the time was seen as this kind of crunch clash because I think Sevilla might have been pretty close to the top of the league at that point and they might even have been top and and what I took away from that game was that Vinicius was outstanding like he was probably the best player on the pitch for any of the two teams and by far Real Madrid's best player. Fast forward to the present day and I'm curious to hear what you think about Vinicius this weekend and I, for me there's been a transformation from a player who even though he, you know he, he was still young and people weren't expecting him to to do everything right all the time at this time last year he was given this feeling of importance he could add something to them and now i feel like that importance has kind of disappeared now instead of and it's become a more like an expectation like you're not fulfilling your expectations and i, I don't think he's performing well under that set but what do you think of him i felt like at the at this weekend it, it felt a little bit like now he was getting the chance playing in the starting 11 and he was trying too much he was trying too hard he's, he's a very good player but he was like every time trying too hard and when you get to the point where you start trying too hard you end up ruining it uh, every time over and over again and i felt that was a little bit the case with him this weekend that you can see that that he's a really good player but he, he's not getting there because he's trying too much and, and that comes i guess with the there is an expectation on him he, he knows he has to perform in a sense before when he didn't have those expectations on him it was just easier to just go out and have fun um and now he's just 
seemed to be trying too hard. He's exactly the kind of player that Real Madrid used to loan out to Espanyol to quite a good success rate and not the so distant past. I'm thinking about Asensio when he was there and Vasquez was there. I feel like it would be good for him to go and play like a team like that in La Liga where he can play every weekend, where he can feel that he's important, but at the same time, he's not judged by the same kind of mass uh, set of eyes that are on him when he's at Real Madrid. I, I, I get the impression that he's someone who could benefit from a loan move because I'm not sure that the current situation is going to help him improve at all. And then there's a risk that you waste the, the chance. Final piece of business before we wrap up for the week. It was another dreadful weekend. Well, not even quite a weekend because it was a Friday night for Atletico Madrid who drew yet again. And they got a huge game coming up this week. They still haven't qualified, still haven't sealed their qualification for the knockout stage in the Champions League and the permutations are they're one point ahead of Bayer Leverkusen who are third in the group I think right now. So they need to either win or at least match Bayer Leverkusen's result and Leverkusen play against Juve. Atletico play at home against Lokomotiv Moscow. So until now I think this is the Atletico's biggest game of the season because you remember it was only a few years ago that they didn't make it through the knockout stage of the Champions League and that was seen as a shock under Diego Simeone so if it happens for a second time well you have some perspective on this but I, I feel like the expectations of the Atletico Madrid fans and also the expectations of the media on them now would mean that if they, they had to fall at this stage again then this would be probably a, the biggest crisis that was seen under the, the Simeone era so far as a huge huge factor for them as being in, in the Champions League after Christmas right? Yeah, definitely. But I think as well, it's like we talked about in the last episode, uh, that Atletico Madrid, this should basically be a transition season for mm-hmm. Atletico Madrid. But just because of how well their preseason were, how well they started the season, and how bad Barca and Real Madrid were playing, everyone just started expecting them to be the best team in Spain, basically, that they were going to win La Liga, and they end up getting this huge pressure on them and instead they just fall back and it's actually is really a transition season for them or they need it to be a transition season but that's not how everyone else is looking at it and that's not the by being as good as they've been previously that it's it's a new I think it's a new reality for them a little bit because this is what Barcelona and Real Madrid have lived with for for ages is that even though when you need a season to get things in order you can't really have it uh, because people expect much more from you. And I think that is probably the first time where Atletico is really in that situation where you actually need that transition season while being such a huge club that they have become um, and getting that pressure on them. Yeah, but I think the one difference for them is that they're they're in this odd position where they're they're trying to compete with Barca and Madrid. They're transitioning between an old team and a new one, but they don't have quite the same financial situation as them. So even though they have a lot more money than the rest of the teams in Spain, it's still the case that their their salary limits are quite strict. And remember last season when they wanted to bring Morata in and loan, they first had to figure out how they could get rid of some other salaries off the books uh, to make that happen. And now this year, there's I saw today and yesterday in the, some of the Madrid papers that... They're, they're now seriously looking at bringing someone in, a striker in, in January, and they want someone who's like a proven striker, who's not going to be a test or an experiment, as they would call it, who'll come in and hit the ground running and start scoring goals. But to do that, they need the money, they need the breathing room. And if they go through in the Champions League, that means that means money that's of quite a lot of importance to Atletico that maybe wouldn't be as important to a, a club like Barca or Real Madrid, which has so much revenue coming through, um, even though Atleti obviously are in a better 
possession than others. So it's not only a huge game in terms of their European uh, future and in terms of what it says about Simeone, but also it could have a domestic impact as well because if they're unable to sign a decent goal scorer in the January market, then that could mean that they have a real fight to to finish in the position they want in the league table, which now you would think would be third would be what they're uh, really prioritizing. I think that's all the business that we've got for this week. I think we are done and dusted. Not not a lot of scandy. Not a lot of scandy in this uh, this week. We had uh, I had Pion Assisto and Braithwaite playing in front of me yesterday, but they weren't the the story of the game to be honest. And we well, if we didn't mention Real Sociedad as well, I think it's probably because there were some individual moments more from uh, Martin Odegaard than than from Alexander Isak. Though Alexander Isak had a couple of decent moments in his game as well, but I mean, again, this is also the reality of like the Scandinavian players in La Liga are for the most part, not going to be the star players who every week excel. And they're also going to be at clubs who are not the clubs who excel every week. So sometimes they just have a, a either a bad week or in this case, I think for the most part, it was just pass marks. They did their job, yeah. but they, they, they weren't outstanding. And so there's no point really on, you know, flogging a dead horse, as they say, and trying to, to make more of that than it actually was. Alexander Jonsson, enjoy your flight back to Vigo, my friend. It's going to be nice to get back home. I'm going to say goodbye to you in Galician, which I'm reliably informed by something that is not Google Translate, is adeus. Yeah, more or less. Well, adeus. Au revoir.